Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And what is up? Welcome in another episode of DC Live. I'm Wes Mitchell. We're going to be joined shortly by my co-host, Chris Clark. And uh, you see him right there, our very special guest today. It is Clark Brooks, a.k.a. SEC StatCat. Find him on Twitter, SEC underscore StatCat. Clark, um, first of all, appreciate you being here, man. Appreciate you making the time. I think it's been, I don't know, man, maybe a year. I think we talked to you last season as well. Um, how how you doing, man? You ready for Thanksgiving? I am ready for Thanksgiving. Uh, getting really excited with the transfer portal ramping up. It's going to be a big focus for our On3 family the next month or so. But, yeah, we still got a couple games left here to get us through the end of the year here. Yeah, we do. Uh, transfer portal, as you know, it's going to be a wild sort of little uh, – I think it's all going to be crammed into a few weeks once that thing opens up on December 5th. And uh, going to certainly be something we'll be tracking on Gamecock Central as well and throughout the On3 uh, family of uh, sites there because the transfer portal giveth and it taketh away. So going to be very interesting to follow that. But um, Clark, I know you've been, I would say, tracking and um, I, I don't even know the words for everything you do. It's like, uh, honestly, nobody, if y'all haven't been to SEC StatCat, y'all go check it out. Nobody breaks down the individual games and offenses um, deeper than Clark does. So we had to have you on this week after South Carolina's performance against Tennessee. And I got to lead you off right there. As many games as you have sort of charted, have you ever seen a wider gap between what South Carolina did at Florida last week and what they did to Tennessee this past week? I'll be honest, very few instances come to mind. I mean, we're talking about going from a 22% broken play rate to an 8% broken play rate. We're going from an inept success rate in the low 30s to something around 50% where almost half the plays worked. We're seeing downfield aggression. We're seeing a little bit of a shift in schematics. So as I'm sure a lot of South Carolina fans can attest, you know, they're really, I would say, fed up or frustrated with the conservative perception of the offense. And that's kind of tied into RPO bubble screens. Uh, Spencer Rattler, he does lean on those awful, an awful lot. But as we saw against Tennessee, we saw a little bit more downfield aggression. We wanted to test that back end a little bit more, a little bit more downfield throws. And the results, of course, uh, speak for themselves, putting up a 60-burger against one of the hottest teams in the country. Yeah, so, uh, Clark, I think something a lot of fans have been asking and, and something I think you are probably most well-equipped to answer is how different were the actual plays that were called um, was this more that South Carolina was doing things differently in, in terms of actual play design and what they called, or was it just more so um, the approach in terms of, like you said, maybe throwing the ball down the field a little bit more, throwing on first down, just sort of – it seemed like there was certainly a different rhythm. There was less looking to the sideline. It was let's let's get to the line, let's call the play, let's, let's go play. And I, I think Spencer Rattler certainly seemed to feed off of that. You could feel the confidence going up. Um, from my perspective, was a lot better in the pocket, just navigating and knowing when to keep his eyes downfield, knowing when to eject. Um, but what did you see from the actual literal plays that were called in this game compared to the rest of the season? Well, the dropback staples were the dropback staples. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you can see over my, my shoulder yep. here. Mesh dagger is a look you guys have been running all season long. It is a uh, I wouldn't say a popular play call, but it's definitely a look that you will see in multiple offenses, especially Lincoln Riley's. Now, the empty formation, which generated two long explosive completions with that dig over the middle, um, that is definitely a Lincoln Riley play. That is a play I saw when charting Spencer Rattler, when charting Jalen Hurts, and all these other um, prolific quarterbacks in that scheme. So it is nothing really new. The Yankee stuff, the Yankee shop stuff. So that's basically a deep cross with the overtop post. That is very much 
a part of the status field uh, wave attack. Same with isolated fades on the outside. Whether you're getting a personnel, a 12 personnel, you know, get that mod ball, get a lot of bodies inside, and then isolate your guy on the outside on a one-on-one matchup. That's just stuff they do. The difference is, yes, they hit on him. Spencer Rattler, he was not necessarily looking to check down. He did keep his eyes downfield, like you said. And, of course, it all stems from having the confidence to do it because I was as high as anyone in the country when he signed with South Carolina in the transfer portal last season. He has arm talent that just guys just cannot do. I mean, even in week one, when he kind of had a lackluster performance, he had one throw along the right sideline that you just cannot teach. And so, you know he has it in him. And it has a lot of people like me who may be eating a little bit of a, their bad takes because of his lackluster play. You just can't ignore him. And when he hit on that deep post, uh, a double post wheel pattern, a switch, which I just love, and ironically, uh, a, a pattern that tennis has just embarrassed most people with this season um, it's a great way to get on the board with the second touchdown a big pass and of course after that the confidence has just kept growing and he was not necessarily putting the ball into harm's way which has also been the caveat to Spencer Rattler of course I tweeted out during the game entering this weekend Spencer Rattler had the third best accuracy percentage on passes beyond 10 yards downfield. But again, if you're just only dinking and dunking all the time, that sometimes gets lost in the shuffle. Of course, he was on point against the uh, against Volunteers. Yeah, so Clark, it uh, it also felt like to me that South Carolina was a little more willing. And I don't know if this was more just Spencer, where he went with the football, if this was more by design from the sideline. It felt like, especially in the second half, they were more willing to take some of those easy access throws as well. Um, when Tennessee was playing off coverage, Juice Wells runs out, turns around, easy five-yard completion. Uh, there was a there was a beautifully thrown little quick out to the tight end on like the first third down of the game. Um, it has felt like, again, I don't have the charting to back it up, so I want you to tell me if this is just – am I reading this right or not? It has felt like a lot of South Carolina's offense this year has been either behind the line of scrimmage or down the field, long developing plays, not so much just those easy access throws that fall somewhere in the middle of that. Um, it felt like those were there. It felt like they hit those and, and kind of stayed a little bit better on schedule against Tennessee. Is that just um, my bias or my feeling, or do does your charting back that up to an extent? Well, I just think uh, Rattler was a little bit more decisive. Mm -hmm. um, he knew Tennessee's front four was pretty good and – casual fans can pretty much attest South Carolina's offensive line is not one of the strongest in the conference. So some of, you know, some of the gun shyness, not really trusting the entire thing. Sometimes it does stem with the offensive line. Cause if he knows, okay, if my first read's not there, I'm gonna have to drop my eyes and make something happen. It's just not an overall effective approach, but when he has the confidence in the whole scheme, the whole approach, he's able to get the ball out. Like you said, with that uh, pattern, actually, I should say that what that cross pattern, cross swap pattern. I did share the design on Twitter this week with another, of their most rep pass patterns, or I should say most effective pass patterns. But that is something I did not see from South Carolina. So basically, you know, cross, it's a weak side flood. Well, you're bringing your, your intermediate cross, and you're bringing a dig in behind. But what South Carolina did, they had a, a drag come underneath. So it was a little bit more like a shallow concept, kind of a mix smash of ideas. But that quick out, yeah, that's just the, that's the check down of that read. Mm -hmm. If you perceive that the defense is going to over pursue those end breakers or play a little bit more concentration towards the middle of the field that's the play to make and of course he puts the ball right where it has to be on the outside shoulder you know if that was on the inside hip that could have been intercepted that could have been a pick six um so yes spencer has had some inconsistencies with his lower bodies but for whatever reason everything this clicked with his confidence and with his ball placement knowing where to go with the ball now, I know, obviously, uh, you, for the most part, are focusing on offense on your site. Again, by the way, y'all check it out, secstatcat.com. But as you charted Tennessee, um, what what did you see, if anything, that you noticed from Carolina's defense? Like, obviously, this wasn't a shutdown performance from them, but I, I felt like they, they did enough as far as limiting the explosive plays. Um, I think Beamer said Hooker was maybe one for nine on uh, deep balls in this game and uh, just didn't – didn't connect on some of the explosive plays that they have. I thought South Carolina tackled well. Like, you know Tennessee's going to get their yardage, but um, Carolina was able to sort of make them 
chunk down the field as opposed to having as many big gains as it feels like Tennessee normally has. So what what was your view on uh, on that from that perspective? You definitely hit on it. It was preventing big plays. It was allowing cushion and banking on your guys to tackle in space. Um, of course, spent, uh, uh, Hinden Hooker, one of the more explosive passers in all of college football. His explosive pass rate against the Cox was 2.4%. Basically, two explosive plays all game, and one of them was basically in garbage time on that cross over the middle for the touchdown. Um, but yeah, by my charting, he was, yeah, one of eight deep. So that's one big aspect to take it away. You're playing lockdown coverage. You're on the same page because like I mentioned with South Carolina kind of stealing the wheel switch, that has been a prolific element to Tennessee's attack. You just think of the Kentucky game. All three wheelie switches went for long completions. Well, um, they were one of three. On true wheelie switches, if they did curls and they just hooked up because you know you're 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 giving space and a lot of what Tennessee does is um, vertical choice. If you're given space, you're going to curl up the space. If they're playing tight, you know if you're even, you're relieving type of idea. So um, yeah, they, they just had no opportunities to connect on any of those big things. And if you're just playing back, you're going to have to make them nickel and dime and have 10, 12, 13 play series without a lot of mistakes. It's really tough to do. So. And again, the other side of the coin is, is tackling well. South Carolina, not really usually a good tackling team this year. Um, in SEC play alone, they were bottom four in yards after the catch average as well as yards after contact for runs. Now, Tennessee, it, been, uh, by themselves, not necessarily the most dangerous team after the catch, but South Carolina held them to two yards below their yards after the catch average. Now, what does that do to the common common fan? Not much, really, but if you're thinking of taking a second and eight to a second and six, or, um, you know, a first and ten into a, you know, second and five, where they're a little bit more ahead of the chains, where the whole playbook is open, and where play action is devastating, because let's not kid ourselves. Hendon Hooker loves himself some play action. He really wants to get those safeties in so he can really maximize those vertical choice on those one-on-one matchups. 41% of his plays, or I should say pass attempts against South Carolina use play action. That's basically on par with what he has done all season. So it's a very, very high clip. So it just takes a lot of discipline on the back end to know when those vertical switches are coming, who has who, when they go, when outside goes in and outside goes out, that they don't cross the streams, or they both look outside, or they both look inside, mm-hmm. where they can, uh, you know, cap it and not necessarily give Hooker a quick outlet to go with the ball because that's one downside to this scheme. You know, it's great when it works, but when you're only running two man pass patterns and you don't have a check down or you don't have another concept to the other side of the uh, formation, it puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback to do a lot of damage with his legs. And even though Hinden Hooker has been a good scrambler, mm-hmm. when pressures get to him, he has been one of the least apt sack erasures in the SEC. I think only Will Levis and KJ, no, not KJ. I think off top, I think only Will Levis and AJ Swan are their two worst passers and a pressure to sack ratio than Hinden Hooker. So again, it's just being on the same page, keeping everything in front of you and limiting those hidden yards. Because if you're going to make Tennessee, you know, march down the field with those double digit drives, every yard counts. Definitely. So, um, Clark, let's move this thing forward a little bit for South Carolina fans to Clemson. Um, I know you focus on the SEC, but I imagine you keep an eye on uh, some of the elite teams in the uh, country as well. So, Impact 300, I think it's part of the job oh, yeah. to come in oh, yeah. with so, a little bit more perspective than just what the SEC gives out. Yeah, yeah so so Clark, what um, – I, and I know obviously – when I say this, I'm not talking about 63 points again being scored by South Carolina. I'm more talking about executing at a somewhat close to the same clip in terms of just getting the football where it's supposed to be, not having as many broken plays like we saw against Florida. How much of what South Carolina did is a one-hit wonder, beautiful night. Everyone would look back on it as like, hey, that was the night everything went perfectly nearly versus something that there can be some carryover for them this week to where the offense can do enough to give South Carolina a chance to pull this upset as two-touchdown underdog uh, at Clemson, obviously. 
Well, the one thing, I wouldn't say it's bankable, but the one thing that I would look forward to is at least hitting on a number of deep balls one-on-one. Um, this is not the same Clemson defense. It's still very, very good, but it's 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 more vulnerable as we've seen throughout the season. You know, uh, teams like Florida State have been able to move the ball. Um, obviously, they have a little bit uh, more well-rounded run game than what South Carolina has shown the whole season. And to be honest, because I know the two-back Wildcat stuff with Joyner was effective, but it is also sporadic. There's basically only three plays they run out of that set. It's outside veer, it's inside zone, and a, a, a toss look or something like that off of it. So it's really not a whole lot of breadth there. And if you come in with a, a deficiency along the front and Clemson, yes, that is something they're still very, very good at. I don't, wouldn't suspect being able to run the ball sideline to sideline or in between the tackles as efficiently or keep them, I guess, off more out of sorts than what Tennessee just did. Um, but I do like the ability of Rattler if this confidence carries over to potentially get some wins outside the numbers whether it is that solo fade RPO that they like so much or if it is a true overtop post with um, you know the safety collapse and just really trying to neutralize and put more pressure on Spencer Rattler being one-dimensional because we know South Carolina is just not a dangerous team working from behind. Mm-hmm. Um, they're definitely more, I would say, they have more teeth when it's a close game, one possession, or even if they had the lead. And, of course, that's when co- the Spittler's confidence is much, much more palpable. And I don't know if it's just because he feels like he puts a lot of pressure on himself when he plays from behind, but that's the assumption is, okay, they're only going to pass. And they've just been not as effective or dangerous in those spots. And when you would think that he would be a little bit more aggressive, he still is a little bit of a check down Charlie in those spots. At least he has been over the course of the season. And despite that conservative approach the ball still finds its way into harm's way it still finds itself into harm's way more often than it should i know certainly aggressiveness will increase at least tight window aggressiveness not necessarily pushing the ball downfield aggressiveness should come in those spots but it's just an area where he hasn't necessarily taken a leap in that regard clark uh, a big picture question for you here there's been obviously a lot of talk all season long about um what is south carolina gonna do at offense coordinator moving forward um you know, I mean, let's be honest, Satterfield has taken a ton of heat, ton of grief from this fan base. Um, big picture, you've you've charted, I, I believe, probably every game. Um, what what do you think the path is moving forward for them? Can can this offense, can this scheme be what it needs to be? Um, big picture moving forward on a more consistent basis. Um, because obviously we've seen it in in spots, but um I think the frustration for a lot of fans, Clark, is just that gap between your great days and and your solid days versus your just days where the offense doesn't give the team a chance at all. Yes, the variance of the scheme. Mm-hmm. You know, a pretty good ceiling, very low floor. Um, generally speaking, you want to get yourself the best chance to be as consistent as possible and as obviously as explosive as possible. So. As we were talking about, the actual plays themselves are fine. It's just, is he consistently putting his guys in the best spot? I know it's really tough to find consistency when your offensive line breaks every third play, two out of five plays. It's really, really tough to get consistency that way. So um, I would look into a change. I have not necessarily loved what I've seen from Satterfield, but at the same time, he hasn't been stuck doing the same thing week in, week out. You know, a lot of the concerns, or I guess say some complaints, entering the year was this very static offense. We're just going to line up and run. We're going to run. Not a lot of pre-snap motion. Well, that literally changed after week one. Mm-hmm. They went from one of the lowest total motion rates to something around the league average, and of course, the last week, Lots of eye candy to keep the defense off balance. But again, it's just going to hone in on who they can get in to run the perfect thing. Short term, um, I don't love making an instant change based on what happened over the last month of the season. I would like to look at his... Um, his reign as a macro look over the last two years, last years, it has been underwhelming. Sure, it, there has been bright spots, like you said, but you know when you are bottom five in success rate, yards per play, broken play rate, yards before contact, it's just really tough to hone in on the silver lining. So if a change is made, you have uh, Beamer, who seems to be more of like a CEO. Obviously, he has the special teams background, defensive background. I don't know if he wants to do the hands-off approach and just like bring in 
like a guy like uh, Liam Cohn, like Kentucky did last year with Mark Stoops, where it's like, all right, you're just going to be the president of the offense, and I'm just going to let you do your thing. I don't know if it's going to be that, and if it's not going to be that, trust could not could be a little bit wavering on the early part of the season, spring ball, uh, installing a whole new thing, and I just think just because of Beamer's background, just being a defensive guy, I don't think he's going to rush to make a change. Even though someone like me, I would definitely explore it, but I would not. Do, I would not make the change unless I knew the the next guy could do a better job, or he has new ideas based on what we have for personnel to bring us to the next level. Because at this point in time, we don't know who's going to be quarterback. Um, we have a decent idea who's going to be back in the backfield, but. Outside of that, it's going to be wide open. And if you're going to lean on the transfer portal to reload, more power to you, but it's going to put a lot of pressure if you're going to have a new voice in the room mm-hmm. trying to you know, evolve what you already have. Clark, so uh, I got one more for you here, man. Um, let, let's talk more along the lines of the On3 Impact 300, uh, which for those who don't know is sort of the equivalent of taking like the recruiting rankings and moving that forward into college and – um, having an idea of, of who the most impactful players are in college football. Um, just from a personnel standpoint, who are some guys that uh, you think uh, you would want to highlight from your perspective from the South Carolina roster, maybe in terms of some guys you've seen improve or come on to the scene a little bit this year? I mean, you look at a guy like Juice Wells, not really a known commodity. If you really followed college football in the transfer portal, I think there were people that were on to him that were like, man, this kid's going to be good. But if you're a casual fan, you you maybe weren't there yet. He has really come on this year. Marshawn Lloyd has taken a huge step forward as far as uh, being a guy who can make plays and and make people miss, I think. Uh, But what have you seen from this roster from your perspective? You named two of them. Um, yeah, Antron Wells, he was, uh, I we like to say, a draftable grade in the transfer portal. 100% gave him a draftable grade. He was a special playmaker from the slot. You know, he's a little undersized, but the speed translates. And if you can separate, more power to you. So, um, and, and then Marshawn Lloyd, you know, he was one of the more muted, blah, forgettable ball carriers in the SEC last year in terms of yards after contact and making guys miss. That was a 180-degree turnaround this year. Um, yeah, I know he's been hurt the last month or so, but um, if memory serves, he's one of the few guys, I think one of the guy, no, I, I think Chris Rodriguez still qualifies, but I still have to finish charting the rest of the games to be top three in yak average and broken tackle rate. Those are two of the three stable metrics I like to hammer on, which are translatable things. What 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 do you want from a ball carrier? You want to make a guy miss, or you want to take advantage of space? It's all about beating the guy across from you, man. That's football one on one. Well, if you can make one guy miss or two guys miss, well, you're helping cover mistakes from your teammates, and that is just immensely valuable. And outside of, I think the other stable metric is basically just. Your production is a pass catcher in open space, which again translates. What can you do when you have the ball in your hands against that one guy? You know what I mean? Well, those things are very translatable to success at the next level. I always hammer on stable metrics. That's why I'm very, very high on Chris Rodriguez at UK. He has been, for three years, one of the highest performers in the conference. So for Marshawn Lloyd to have his health back, to get his legs back under him, to to be one of the hardest dudes to tackle in the entire SEC has certainly been a surprise for me. I've also really loved Cam Smith in that back end. You know, um, more I can't, I always get his last name wrong, how to pronounce it, but um, the, the freshman's, yes, yes. He has been a uh, fantastic job. You know, it's not every day, an 18 18- Old 19 year olds can come into the SEC and make an instant impact. Harold Perkins aside. Uh, but yes, like those are guys who have consistently been on my radar this whole season. And because of Wells' breakout game, he's finally broken back into the top 300. He's been on what I like. We have an outside looking in list. It's usually about 100 to 150 more guys outside the top 300. Wells has been in that tier basically all season long just because the inconsistency at the quarterback position, um, you know, the inconsistent usage and where he's catching passes in order to make an impact haven't necessarily been there. But after this past weekend, there's no denying that Juice Wells is a playmaker and he would be a very variable weapon to have back. Clark, uh, great stuff as always, man. We can't thank you, thank you enough. Um, why don't you tell everybody real quick about what you got going on at secstatcat.com and uh, maybe uh, give yourself a little plug there. Tell them to come sign up. 
Yeah, um, you know, it's it's a member of the On3 family. It's not as nice and neat as the other uh, websites in the family, but you, it is information you literally cannot find anywhere else. You know, I have a Pro Football Focus account just to double make sure what I have is not what they have. Well, I can tell you they do not break down concepts teams run by success rate, yards per attempt, usage, no, no, sir. Nor do they have the filters where you can see, I want to see only the motion plays, or I only want to see the 12 personnel plays, or I only want to see um, what someone's accuracy is targeting the middle of the field. For instance, in this past game, you know, it was a really good idea from South Carolina to try and bring it all back in together and how it's applicable. Hendon Hooker had the second lowest target rate throwing inside the numbers at 36% against South Carolina. 61%. That almost, well, that practically, practically doubled. But again, that's just funneling his eyes inside. And you know what? His accuracy percentage of 61.2 inside the numbers is 10 percentage points lower than his clip outside the numbers. So again, they were just really trying to adjust and manipulate Hooker's process to where he's been less effective. And again, I would not know that information if I didn't have it all charted and set up. So yes, um, macroly, it could be a little granular for some people, but if you're a degenerate gambler who's just looking for any type of in to uh, manipulate where you're going to bet, if it's minus four, minus three, oh gosh, they're really strong running this one play mm -hmm. and they're really you know soft against it, I might, uh, I might bet on the dog here. So again, there's different applications, but if you're just a big stat nerd and, or if you're just a big uh, college football fan who wants to be a little bit more uh, I guess modern evolve your fandom beyond just the basic box score and the total yard stats well there's no place better that focuses on SEC I'm biased of course than SECstatcat.com well I agree as well Clark so uh, I appreciate you man as always uh, let's do this again sometime and uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving enjoy rivalry week too okay man awesome that's Clark Brooks y'all check him out SEC StatCat, and uh, you can find him on Twitter as well. You saw a Twitter right under his name there. Um, man, that was good. I This was the perfect week to have Clark on, and um, he delivered as he always does. And we're going to go from Clark Brooks now to Chris Clark, who has decided to join us here. Um, Chris, we haven't really talked South Carolina Clemson much. We've been, I guess, we've been a little stuck on South Carolina Tennessee, which um, – the head coach at South Carolina, Shane Beamer, said <laughs> is not allowed. So we got to move along at some point. And we're going to have all day Friday. We've got a 107.5 show that will be um, noon to 12 this time. Make sure I do my math right. Nine to 12. Be live from Firehouse. Noon to 12. Wow. Okay. <laughs> no, I've Nine done that to one 12. before. Yep. Um, 60 41. Very short. Garners Ferry Road in Columbia. Come out and see us. Yeah. That'd be a very short show if it was from noon to twelve. But um, all right, nine to twelve. That is Friday, Garners Ferry Road, Firehouse Subs. We'll be there. Uh, come hang out, and then of course we'll have our normal GC live. Um, by the way, I did confirm today, ClemsonSports.com's Matt Connolly will be joining us for Friday's show to break down the game from the Clemson perspective. We had some people on the Gamecock Central forums, Chris, asking why Matt was not asked to be the Clemson, you know, expert for a 107.5 segment this week. So you can just come on GC Live on Friday and listen to Matt yep. break down the game. I believe we're going to have five questions with Matt as well. I actually touched base with him today. He was telling me a little bit about this Clemson team and his thoughts on how this game could go. And I think he's – he offered some insight, but he I think he's in belief – or in concert with all of us in the belief that – how how do you if you're going to frame this game up? How do you sort of um, take the output from South Carolina's offense against Florida, and the output from South Carolina's offense against Tennessee, and square those things up? And what carries over to this week, and what doesn't? I mean, it's probably one of the more intriguing storylines going into this rivalry game that we've seen in a long time, I think. I was thinking about this the other day and have not been able to find an answer. So I will put you on the spot and ask you, do you have any idea or anybody in the chat, any watchers, listeners, has anyone ever been shut out offensively one week? Or, or, or 
or he scored six points, but let's call it an offensive shutout one week and literally scored 63 the next week in college football. You would think it's probably happened. Especially, Maybe. you know, I could see it happening like um, a Power 5 team plays a conference opponent and then the next week they play like, you know, Northwest Central Arkansas State and win by that. But man, like conference games, that would be another layer to it. Or not conference games, Power 5 games. We would have to, we would have to effort that. I'm going to see if we can figure that out. Well... I mean, I think the difficult thing there too would be, in this case, the the offense did score zero points against Florida, but from a statistical standpoint, yep. they did score six. They did so score six. Yep. That count, you know, that's not going to count as a shutout. Yep. You would have to so really it's be, dive in. Yeah, it's going to be difficult to sort of figure that out. But, um, I mean, dude, I I dare say there there can't be many occasions where you scored six in one week and then scored 60 plus no, the next. No doubt. And you're I right. Mean, I mean, it, it is difficult to square that. And so I think where people are left, whether you're um, a Clemson fan or media person trying to, you know, make a prediction on this game, or if you're a Gamecock fan or if you're us, Wes, which team are you going to see now? There will be some regression to some version of the mean. I will not be, spoiler alert, I will not be predicting South Carolina to score 63 points or even 50 or even 40-something against Clemson on the road, a really good Clemson defense. Um, So there will be a regression to the mean, but how much? And that is the key question. You know, do we see um, some better version of the Gamecock offense than we saw for a lot of the season, albeit a scale down from what we saw against Tennessee where just literally everything went right? almost um or do we see the florida version of the offense because you're going to be playing a really good defense and and that is the question um we have one game of the elite offensive performance we have one game of the rock bottom performance and we have some others that are kind of everywhere in between i would say right i mean georgia probably would be the closest thing to the florida game i guess you could say um but you have Arkansas where you pass the ball for 377 yards and you're coming from behind, but you find some points on the road. So there's just – the data points are not really there, you know, for South Carolina to be able to accurately predict. We know it's going to be more of a challenge than what they saw at home last week for a lot of reasons. Um, but, yeah, it kind of – it really just kind of makes it tough, you know, to to figure out what to expect from this team against Clemson. Well, I think if you look the last four games, um, you know, and people say, well, that was against Vandy. Well, that's a little bit better win now than people probably gave it credit for being at the time. And, you know, you look, they played pretty well offensively in that game. You know, the first half is probably the best they have played offensively all year until the Tennessee game happened. So if you look at the last four games, you know, I would put the Missouri game right up there with Florida and Georgia as far as offensive struggles. So two two of the last four have been maybe their two best of the year, and two of the last four have been maybe two of their three worst of the year. So, uh, you know, as always, matchups are going to be important. And Clemson, you know, Clemson's such a talented defense. However, I don't, Chris, think that they are quite to the level that they have been as of late and um, you know are there some things you can take advantage of there it this is not a game not only can you not expect obviously to score in the 60s you're not going to have to score in the 60s I think the question is can you execute well enough um, while sort of understanding you're playing a pretty good defense execute well enough that you can just keep your deep keep your defense from not having to go right back out there and stop Clemson last year there was really no threat. Like Clemson ran the ball at will, and they stopped South Carolina's offense completely in their tracks. So there's no pressure on your opponent that way. Mm-hmm. You 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 have to force them to throw the football, Chris. I think both, and by force them, I mean both from a your own defensive standpoint, but also from your own offensive standpoint in terms of keeping the game 
in the balance as opposed to letting Clemson just sort of enforce their will. They get up by a couple scores early, and then they really feel like there's no reason to put the ball in danger at that point. Yeah, South Carolina's definitely got to be the aggressor. And so I, I would go back to the notion that South Carolina very much needs to get off to another fast start in this game and put some pressure on the Tigers. This will be, you know, Clemson's on a 40-game home winning streak, Wes. So, you know, they've been phenomenal at home. Defensively, you cannot get in situations where they're going to be able to tee off on you on third down. And so early down success will be big. Uh, I mean, you hit it on the head last year. I think South Carolina was down 17 nothing at halftime, if I'm not mistaken. Um, South Carolina didn't do much of anything offensively, so there's short fields for Clemson. Uh, South Carolina couldn't establish the run offensively. They certainly couldn't stop the run on defense. Will Shipley had a really good game. Phil Moffa, Tigers' backup running back, had a really good game as well. Uh, we know DJ can carry the football as well, and that's going to be – you know, another added layer and wrinkle here because South Carolina's had some struggles there against mobile quarterbacks for a good portion of the season. But look at the game last season, Wes. Um, there was an interception. South Carolina was on their own five-yard line and threw an interception. So Clemson took over inside Carolina's 20 and were limited to a field goal, right? But you're very fortunate in that situation to do that. So, you know, th- that's the th- type of things you can't do. Clemson only has one loss this season to Notre Dame, and Notre Dame followed more of that prototypical upset formula. Um, They ran the football. They were able to stop the run. And they benefited from some big plays on special teams. They blocked punt for a touchdown. They had a 96-yard interception return, and they had another interception that resulted in an extremely short field and a touchdown. So um, really, three of their scores – Three of their five were either directly off a turnover or directly aided by a turnover. Um, and we know that stopping the run, forcing DJ to be a passer, is going to be a priority for the defense. Easier said than done, though, right? I still get the feeling, though, Wes. You know how we joke every week about the keys to the game, stop the run, run the ball. Certainly, South Carolina needs to be able to run the ball. But do you get the sense that this is another game where Spencer Rattler is going to have to kind of go off, maybe not six touchdowns uh, or something like that, but isn't that going to be pretty important in this one? Yeah, and I got to feel it, man. Clemson is not going to sit back the way Tennessee did. Like, they're going to come after Rattler. And, you know, I I didn't really – watching it live, I didn't, I guess, notice what Tennessee was doing defensively. When I rewatched the game, then I rewatched the Skycast version of the game. I got a much better sense of it. Kirk Herbstreit made the comment, "Hey, they play this is a man coverage defense." And if you look, Carolina was winning the one-on-one battles down the field in man-to-man situations. On the other end, Tennessee was not. I mean, one for nine. Um, I think Beamer said one for nine on downfield throws. Uh, Clark Brooks, who was just on with us, he had it at one for eight. Um, so either way, they only hit one successful deep ball and you know I I think on the Carolina end of that it forced Tennessee to play more zone and Tennessee played it wasn't exclusively zone in the second half but it was close to it like there was a lot of off coverage a lot of zone defense and Carolina to their credit adjusted to that went a little bit more to the underneath passing game moved the chains um you know, the two big throws down that were sort of down the middle of the field on those deep dig routes that that Rattler just threw straight dimes on where he stepped up in the pocket. Um, I don't expect that from Clemson. Now, Clemson doesn't have elite defensive backs, I don't think. So there could be some opportunities to win one-on-ones, but I expect them to be a little bit more highly contested, a lot more pressure, um, bring in five. I expect Clemson to call the game probably – a little bit more similar to what South Carolina calls defensively. You're going to man up, bring pressure, go after the quarterback. And uh, we had a question earlier, Chris, about um, Justin said we played cover zero against Clemson or against Tennessee. No, it was really – it was a lot of just cover one. Like that's where you're putting one safety up near the line of scrimmage and you're putting one safety deep and uh, you're playing man coverage. I think that allowed South Carolina to simplify a bit 
with they're trying to do choice routes and switch routes and all this stuff, if if it's more just, hey, I got my man, um, there's not as much room for there to be, um, you know, issues on who's supposed to get who. And a lot of times teams will play matchup zone type stuff and the, the mis- there's miscommunication on who's picking up who. Carolina just said, look, we like our three guys in coverage. We're going to go match up. And, um, you know, I think it'll be interesting, Chris. You got to think they're going to go with a similar approach to this past week as far as their configuration, in my opinion. And as much as I – as much as I'm sure Carolina fans hate to hear this, Antonio Williams, probably already their best wide receiver. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. He's in the slot. Yep. So, I'm matching up Cam with Antonio, and I'm telling Cam he thinks he's better than you. Like I'm, I'm, I'm making that up. You know, right. like I'm. Oh yeah, abs. hundred. I'm putting that out there. Yeah. But uh, and Clemson's tight ends can uh, can hurt you in the passing game as well. Well, guess what? With that configuration, you then have a guy in DQ Smith who is now playing safety, but he's probably going to be matched up quite a bit with those tight ends and is somebody who's been asked to play man coverage and play uh, tight coverage against wide receivers all year long. So I kind of like that matchup. The real question is, can, can you do enough to stop the run to make it matter? Because it's very easy to say, Oh, just stack the box, stack the box. That's like what people say when you can't stop the run. They're already stacking the box. Like, that's what they do. There's already a di- an extra hat in the box. I don't think you can go cover zero. That's asking for long, deep plays to happen. Even Worry cleans up a lot of plays for you because he's the last line of defense. So, ultimately, there's going to have to be quite a bit. I'm not going to say it. This is a family show. But that thing Cam Smith said um, in the post game, there's a lot of it's just gonna you're gonna have to do that up front. I think. Yeah, and and it's a challenge. It's a completely different type of challenge than last week. You know, Clemson utilizes some tempo, but you know Tennessee goes extremely fast, and they have a very unique offense with you know all the things we covered. West, their splits and types of routes that they're going to run, how they're going to challenge you out on the perimeter and down the field. And Hendon Hooker can run, as we saw in that game. Uh, he can buy himself time. He can run in the open field. But this is just a lot different. You know, Clemson's offense is structured in a different way. Um, DJ Uyangalele's ability to run the football up the middle and on tough runs, you know, third and two, third and one, fourth and one, fourth and two, just being able to power it up in there. Um, and they'll run some RPO stuff where he has the option to keep the football. He can hurt you in the open field. Tackling is going to be big again. So there is that extra element. We're all talking about stopping the run and Will Shipley, Phil Moffa. That's certainly going to be a priority. It has to be a priority for this team. But it does make it a little bit more difficult when you know that they are going to run the quarterback more by design or they're going to call more RPOs with an option for him to also pull that thing down and keep it instead of handing it off or instead of throwing a bubble screen or a slant to a receiver. So it makes it more of a challenge. And so no matter how many guys you've got devoted to the run, and USC will will put plenty of guys in the box for sure, you still have to make sure that you're winning up front and that you're being really sound in your run fits. Clemson will also stress US. I was watching some of their game against Miami last night uh, from this past week. Just, just dominated Miami, who's not very good at all. Uh, but they get you out on the perimeter a lot. They'll use some tosses. They'll use some motions to try to get you out of sorts. So this will be a big game for the front seven for South Carolina. They have to be very disruptive up up front and cause problems in the backfield and very critical for the linebackers to be able to not get out of position on the perimeter um, and fit their gaps very well. Yeah, I think Clemson, they they seem to kind of pick and choose – when it's going to be a game they run their quarterback, they're going to run him this week. Like, they they put Chris so much into not losing this game. Like, you're going to get everything Clemson has and then some. It doesn't matter that they got a championship game coming up, ACC title. None of that matters. They put everything into winning this game. So, they're, they're going to run their quarterback. And you look at last year, 
I'm looking at the box right now, Chris. 30 to nothing Clemson, obviously. But man, South Carolina, if you told me going into this game that South Carolina held Clemson to three for 12 on third down and held them under 100 yards passing in the game, I would have said, I wouldn't have said, oh, South Carolina's going to win. I would have said, oh, they, they hung in there. But that's, to me, an example of when your offense is just doing nothing. Carolina had 206 yards of total offense. Turned the ball over twice. Clemson did throw an interception early as well, but Carolina didn't do anything with it. So it there was no pressure on Clemson whatsoever as far as this game as it progressed. There was no pressure on them to even score. Very just methodical, blah-type game. There was nothing really exciting about this game, but they won 30 to nothing. That they, they actually only had five more first downs than South Carolina. But yeah. it's because they're getting chunk plays in the running game, rushed for 265 yards, 6.2 yards per carry. Um, even time of possession, 31 and a half to about 28 and a half. Not that staggering of a difference. It's just when when the opponent doesn't do much of anything on offense, there's just it doesn't force you to do much on offense either. And if you can run the football and you have a guy like Shipley, Shipley, you have a running quarterback. I mean, they had they each had 20 yard runs on the first drive of the game. I, I remember Clemson instantly going down the field, chunk play, chunk play, touchdown, and you could just feel the air go out of that building. Clark Brooks made a good point earlier. It's a point we make we've made all season. It's almost become right up there with the stop the run, turnover battle thing. But it's true. Got to find a way to start kind of quick if you're South Carolina. When they start quick, Chris, they are a different football team when they start quick versus when they get down early. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, you know, could go on and on about why that may be, what the theories are, but it is just the reality of it. And um. You, you manage this game, I think, differently than you get a, did against Tennessee. I mean, you made a great point last week of you're up 14 on Tennessee. Uh, you're, you're basically tied. That's how you have to kind of manage it. You can do that a little bit differently this week, right, just because Clemson's offense certainly capable of putting up points. Wes, they've only not scored 30 points twice this year. At 27, I think, against Syracuse, and then the loss to Notre Dame were turnovers and Special teams plays doomed them. They scored 14. Other than that, they're 30 points or over every game. And so certainly the evidence shows that with what we've seen from South Carolina's defense this year, it would not be a surprise if Clemson was able to get into that range too. You just you know, have to try to limit that. But playing complimentary football all game um, and certainly doing exactly what you said and starting fast I think is going to be critical for this team. You can't, you can't dig yourself – a 14-point hole in this game where it, you now you're thrown off your game plan. Maybe you're not able to run the ball like you would hope. Um, Clemson can now tee off on you. The crowd's – you know, noon crowd compared to seven, sure, but the crowd's in it. Um, I feel like opposing teams are always going to be able to rush the passer better on the road just because of the snap count. Clemson's got some guys that can really – tune you up on the defensive line from a pass rush standpoint. They got depth, they got talent. So it'll be critical for South Carolina to keep them off balance, take the aggression to them, and for sure, you know, start fast. That's something that's very important. Wes, on Will Shipley real quick, weird, kind of some weird statistics. Um, Will Shipley, when he goes over 100 yards this season, that's been Clemson's closest games. Kind of bizarre. Uh, FSU – Syracuse, there might be one more in there, all six-point wins. Now, maybe that coincides with Shipley at his best performances against some of the best teams, right? Because certainly those point totals were against teams that challenged Clemson the most. Syracuse, pretty good team. Uh, Florida State, certainly a good team this year. So maybe there's no real statistical analysis to be had there. If you're South Carolina, you'd definitely rather keep Shipley under 100 yards Clemson has allowed West just one 100-yard rusher this season. That was against Notre Dame. South Carolina has allowed four 100-yard rushers this season. So 
you want to uh, you want to keep that number low because obviously uh, you want you want to make I mean you want to make Clemson beat you through the air. You know if if they're beating you downfield uh, with your corners and man coverage, you kind of tip your hat. And that's what we saw last year. They didn't beat South Carolina through the air. They beat them running the football, which is exactly what you knew they were going to do. So you know it's coming this year. Easier said than done, but that's. Uh, point of execution that they've got to make sure that they get squared away. Yeah, and I, I don't even know if I answered your question earlier, but yes, I think Rattler has got to have a day where you can just tell he's found that zone. It doesn't have to be, you know, NBA Jam on fire hitting everything um, in a zone, but definitely he's going to have to make some throws and go make some things happen. And uh, South Carolina, again, uh, Gamecock Ryan, I re-brought up the phrase that I stole from Steve Spurrier got to give fate a chance uh can you hang in there chris these games have not been particularly competitive between south Carolina and clemson as of late so it is there a psychological thing there to if you can find a way to hang in early and just watch the confidence on south Carolina's sideline build i you know what clemson's not going to be phased like if it's a short or if it's a close game that i mean this program has played in so many big games under Dabo Sweeney. I don't think they're going to be phased by a close game, but can it affect South Carolina sideline in terms of confidence continuing to build and grow? Absolutely. So can you hang around? Can you just make this a competition, uh, which is something they have not been able to do in recent years? Even the game they went down there with Jake Bentley and just went off on the passing game, getting Debo Samuel and Kill Pollard and all those guys going, still was not necessarily really a close game because they couldn't stop Clemson at all. So. We'll see, and we've got an entire day on Friday to break all this down. Um, in the meantime, I'm going to tell you about our friends at Liberty Tax. Uh, you can overcome your tax anxiety, 803-462-5576. Um, tax time is right around the corner, and the tax team at Liberty Tax has locations in Irmo, Columbia, and Lexington, 1123 South Lake Drive. That's Lexington, 7467 St. Andrews Road in Irmo, and 551 St. Andrews Road in Columbia, 29210. Give them a call, 803-462-5576. They are there for you year-round, and they can also help you if you own a business with your bank statements, your QuickBooks, your payroll services, your bookkeeping, all that stuff that nobody really wants to have to deal with as a business owner. Again, Chris, like I said, man, we we got a full day on Friday to break all this down and talk about it. Again, we'll be joined by um, Matt Connolly. That'll be good. He'll have some, some insight on this um, and on sort of the Clemson side of things as well. So we're going to get out of here for Chris. I'm Wes. Uh, Thank you all for joining us. Shout out to Clark Brooks. Phenomenal as always. And uh, thank you all for joining us and hope everybody has an awesome Thanksgiving. Stuff your face. Don't count calories on Thanksgiving. Go back for seconds. Eat some dessert. Enjoy the day. And we'll see you all on Friday. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.